Hello and welcome to this first full-length episode of the Looking After Nature podcast, bringing you closer to nature and wildlife in Hampshire. My name is Andy Davidson and I'm a ranger at Hampshire Countryside Service. I'm here with my co-host and fellow ranger, Carly Harrod. Hi Carly. Hi Andy. Great to be here on this mild September day at River Hamble Country Park. It is actually beautiful today, isn't it? It's lovely and mild. It's lovely and the colours of the leaves are just starting to change, which is really nice. It's certainly been feeling like autumn a lot more. It's a lot of misty mornings at the moment. Lots and lots of dewy spiderwebs. It's really good. And I can actually see a few crab apples in the tree behind you there as Mm -hmm. well. So it's all really coming out to its full. It's a lovely sight here. It is. It's beautiful. And we're right on the edge of Southampton, which is a really nice place to find something so gorgeous. So what will this podcast be about? Good question. So each episode will be a conversation with one or more of our countryside rangers and other wildlife and conservation experts. The aim is to get to the heart of what we do and why and explain how our work benefits the countryside as well as the people who live in our lovely county of Hampshire. It's going to be a real insight into the world of countryside care. Yes, that's right. We'll be chatting about all sorts, uh, about local birds and wildlife, conservation practices, environmental issues... We'll also be focusing on how we can make all make more of the countryside to personally benefit our health and well-being. We'll even look at some history of places in the county and highlight great places to walk and cycle. Everything in these podcasts is brought to you by us, the rangers and staff at Hampshire Countryside Service. Hampshire Countryside Service manage over 80 countryside sites in Hampshire and maintain the rights of way network. We manage the land, making sure it's safe for the visitors and nice for the wildlife to live in. Andy, what brought you into the conservation sector? That's a long time ago. I started in 91, had a general interest in wildlife and the countryside and I was very lucky in getting a ranger's post up at Yateley Common Country Park. So I was there as a ranger and worked my way up to manager and then I came into centrally as a conservation officer working right across the county for the countryside service. How about you Carly? I went on a school trip once, long, long time ago now, and absolutely loved it. I went to Slapton Lee Nature Reserve in Devon, absolutely loved it and decided that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and have been basically for the last 20 years now. I think it's part of the beauty of the countryside is the fact that you never stop learning and that was what keeps me going. You can't never know everything about the countryside and you've always something new to learn, which is fantastic. Yeah, and we've got a lot of experts in our service people that are interested in butterflies beetles bees plants trees you name it we have someone interested in it so for this first episode andy met with our colleagues steve peach to talk about trees how we protect them care for them and manage them here in hampshire recently steve has been working on how we manage our trees and keep them safe for our visitors yeah, Steve has worked with the countryside service since 1981, so that's even longer than I have, 10 that's years. nearly as long as I've been alive. So. Well, yeah, you do get a bit worried sometimes when new rangers turn up and you say you started in 91 and you look at them, you weren't born then, were you? Mm-hmm. Steve was responsible as a senior ranger managing Queen Elizabeth Country Park and Staunton Country Park. They're beautiful sites down in the east of the county. So there's semi-natural woodland, wood pasture, specimen trees, lovely chalk grassland big National Nature Reserve at Butts Hill Park, Queen Elizabeth Country Park. So he's got a huge working experience with trees and countryside. And here he is talking to Andy about our beautiful trees. So you're part of a team that looks after Hampshire's trees. I imagine many of our listeners will think that's in woodlands, but it's more than that, isn't it? Yeah, you're right, Andy. Um, 
Countryside Service runs a whole range of sites from huge country parks like Greenlandsworth Country Park with its beach forests and new woodlands. You've got River Hanville Country Park with its beautiful, beautiful riverside woodlands, smaller urban green spaces, large coastal sites, access land, and of course, nature reserves. All these places contain thousands and thousands of trees, probably hundreds of thousands of trees of different sizes and shapes. So the countryside service is responsible for a, a huge estate with, with trees all over the place. So yeah, I'm part of a team that um, gets involved in tree management as well as habitat management. It's, it's a great job. So can you tell our listeners about what's involved in tree management? Yeah, well, our, our countryside ranges are involved in um, a whole range of tree, uh, tree activities, if you want to call them that. There's woodland management for nature conservation and biodiversity. And this can mean anything from planting trees, encouraging natural regeneration, woodland ride management, coppicing, that's where we're clearing trees to, to make uh, temporary glades. And they also ensure there's lots of deadwood habitat, uh, and it's, they're especially keen to protect kind of larger and older trees. And of course, there's other habitats that also have trees. Even grasslands ha often have uh, trees as key components. We also have trees that have been planted to create shade in picnic areas or as a windbreak in more exposed areas. And of course, trees are also planted just because they kind of look nice. Everybody loves trees. So where there are large numbers of trees close to uh, people or property, we also, as rangers, are responsible for keeping both that property and people safe. So some of our work's about inspecting and maintaining tree safeties. And, and our rangers are trained to both do both the inspections, but also any remedial work that's required. So it's, it's, you know, it's a really complex job. You know, clearly there's a lot going on there. Why is it important to do all this? Well, as I said, most of us, we all like to, to look at trees and any place is made better if there are trees around. But because there's other important reasons uh, as to why we have, have to look after trees. Trees are a vital part of the natural landscape, whether they're standing alone in the field or part of a wider woodland. Trees support a vast range of species, such as birds, mammals, insects, plants, and they all rely on trees. Trees are right at the very centre of, of many ecosystems. It connects the, um, so much wildlife together. And often, even something that looks like a natural woodland, it, it actually isn't. Some woodlands and other tree environments, like hedgerows, have actually been managed by human activities for centuries. And they've become reliant on humans to continue that support, to maintain their wildlife diversity, and in some cases, their productivity. And it's that same sort of historic human activities that means that people have built houses uh, close to woodlands, and they, they also like to spend their leisure time um, in woodlands. I mean, we've seen that during the COVID-19 lockdown, thousands of people are getting out to their local woodland, their local rights of way. Hence the need for rangers to try wherever possible to, to make sure that people and, and trees are, are both kept safe and protected. Now, on some of the sites we manage, clearly we, people see us cut down huge amounts of trees and we're removing them, not just managing them. Can you explain why that might be important in some places? The Countryside Service doesn't cut down trees without good reason. And as I've already mentioned, those reasons tend to be either to do with improving the habitat or for safety. I guess most people get upset about trees, particularly when it's their local tree, or if it's their local area, their favourite place where trees are getting cut down. So trees that are cut down as part of um, habitat management improvements are subject to a long management planning process that there's discussions held with colleagues, 
partner organizations, statutory authorities, and of course, local communities. And as a result of all those discussions, we create plans that prioritize different types of habitats and explains what we need to do either to either protect that habitat or create it. Occasionally, this might mean we actually fell some trees, as we said. It might be a woodland where we need to create glades. It might be uh, widening up a ride. And it might be that a particular habitat like grassland, uh, the percentage of trees to grassland is wrong. So we have to get rid of a few trees to increase the grassland. In the case of something like a woodland glade creation, the plan would not just include the felling of trees, but it also would focus on what we'd expect to grow back, the wildlife that are going to benefit from that glade creation. And in, natural, in a natural weak, uh, ecosystem, a woodland ecosystem, those glades would have been created by old trees that fell down because maybe an extreme weather event. And then you would have had animals that came along and helped to maintain that. But the absence of both those larger trees and also those sort of pioneering animals means that we have to act. So as I say, we don't take those decisions lightly. They are part of a process which is designed to make the habitat better. When we cut trees down for safety reasons, this involves a safety inspection process. So all countryside sites are zoned into high, medium and low risk. The high risk zones include trees that sit alongside buildings, perhaps they're in visitor facilities like play areas or, or high use car parks. The low risk areas are those more remote areas, way, a long way from buildings and, and with lower numbers of visitors. So the high risk areas are, are inspected and visited much more frequently than the low risk ones. High-risk trees are looked at in terms of their likelihood to fail. So, you know, are they about to fall over or is, or is a branch going to fall off? What would happen if that branch or the tree did fail? Is it, is it going to hit a building? Is it going to hit a facility? Do people hang around there? And then the actual size of the tree or the size of the branch that falls off. All of those things are put together and they create what we call a hazard rating. The person who does the hazard rating is normally an expert in their field and they would also make recommendations. So those recommendations could include anything from felling the tree to maybe just moving one or two branches. And so that's the process that we would then look at and all of that process we would go through before any decision about felling a tree would take place. There are also other options. So even though we've done an inspection, we might find a tree that's actually, we might decide is potentially dangerous. We might be able to fence that tree off. If it's close to a path, we might be able to move the path away. But there's a lot of other things that take place first before the decision to fell a tree is, is taken. It's always a last resort action. I mean, we're rangers. We, we're here to kind of protect wildlife, not to, not to get rid of trees. I think one, bit, one thing some people get quite excited about is uh, ivy on trees. And you quite often see people cutting the ivy even along just rights of way. Is it, I mean, is that a good thing to do? Is the ivy damaging the tree? No, quite the opposite. And ivy is an important part of the ecosystem. I know a lot of us, because again, because of COVID-19, we've been spending time in our gardens and we've all seen those beautiful yellow butterflies, things like the broomstone flying around, the little holly blue butterfly. And all of these butterflies, they overwinter in places like ivy. So that, that ivy provides amazing shelter for overwintering insects. Often birds nest in the ivy as well. Uh, and it's an, it's an important part, of, say, of, of any ecosystem. So we, we really shouldn't be, be chopping it down unless there's an absolutely, you know, must reason for doing it. I'd always advocate leaving the ivy there. So it doesn't actually damage the tree at all? No, no. I mean, what you sometimes have is, particularly if a tree has got old, perhaps it's got disease, the, the weight of the ivy in some cases might, might help a branch fall off. 
but the ivy is, is likely to be holding the tree together as being damaging. With all these things, it always depends on the individual situation. But as a general rule, certainly as a countryside service, we, we wouldn't advocate getting rid of ivy. So we're talking about um, managing trees, cutting trees down occasionally, but we do also plant new trees and woodlands as well. Oh yeah, of course. We're, we're always growing or planting new trees. Sometimes that's achieved through natural regeneration. So we might clear an area, as we said, we, we would clear areas to create glades. Um, most glades over a period of time, the trees would grow back and become part of the mature woodland again. And in the last decade, the Countryside Service has been involved in producing brand new woodlands, planting trees as parkland restoration. We've been involved in hedgerow planting and working with local volunteers to maintain existing coppice management. We're currently, as you well know, Andy, we're currently looking at um, new woodlands in, in some of our parks. So it's actually quite an exciting time to be a ranger because we're very forward looking and we're, we're looking at new woodlands. Many people think more trees means a better climate, but it's not quite as simple as that, is it? No, I'm sure many people are aware that one of the ways scientists are suggesting we can combat the impact of climate change is by planting trees. Trees are very good at sequestering or, or if you like, capturing carbon gases, which contribute to global warming. The premise is that by planting thousands of trees, we can capture lots of carbon and everything will be right. So in principle, that's correct. But some habitats are already very good at either capturing or storing, uh, storing carbon. Planting trees in the wrong place could actually be a, a, a negative thing. If that habitat's already very good for storage of carbon, us planting there and disturbing the soil and releasing that carbon wouldn't be, wouldn't be the right thing to do. We need to understand there's two factors relating to carbon. There's the carbon capture and the carbon storage. So what we do in the, in the long term isn't just about planting the trees, it's what we, what we choose to do in the future. And this is why the Countryside Service, along with other colleagues in, in different departments within the County Council, are looking at a range of measures, which include tree planting, um, to reduce the impact of climate change. We're putting a lot of work into trying to understand the short-term and long-term carbon capture and storage values of different habitats and making sure that we do make the right decision for the future. Because tree planting alone won't stop what is a human-induced climate change. We all have our part to play, whether that's sort of reducing our energy use. We certainly need to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels, and we can all live perhaps a more sustainable life. I think we've, we've all started to change the way we live because of COVID-19 and the lockdown. I, for one, have found out that um, it's okay to walk to the shops. It's a good thing to do. So, so I think the more of us who adopt a more sustainable way of life, the better for climate change. So trees are part of the solution, but so are some of the other habitats that we, we manage within the countryside service. Now, something that's been in the news quite a lot recently is ash dieback and um, causes some concern. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, ash dieback is a, a disease which affects the immune system of, of ash trees and, and therefore affects their ability to take up nutrients. What this does is make the trees susceptible to a whole range of other diseases and pathogens. So the ash trees, once they get um, dieback, they quickly become sickly, they die and, then, and they fail. There's not really an area within Hampshire that hasn't actually been impacted by ash dieback. The disease probably came in through, the, through an infected imported tree. We know it's been spreading across Europe for the last sort of two or three decades. It has a big impact on the work the countryside service is doing as we manage hundreds of acres of land uh, that contains ash trees. And we've got concerns over sort of the health and safety as well as the loss of habitat and species. 
So it means that this countryside service, along with other council departments, are involved in a big project looking at um, the felling of diseased trees, but also, as we mentioned before, the planning for the future. We'll, we'll probably need to think about planting, uh, maybe not ash trees, but maybe it'd be other species of trees that are going to replace some of the ecological niches that ash trees hold. It's going to be quite a, a, a difficult process. Ash trees are a really big part of the British countryside, particularly around um, in hedgerows, around farm areas. We certainly want to do our best to keep them, but as we said before, there may be some instances where we do have to fell some ash trees. But it's a, it's a big problem. It's not dissimilar from the uh, past problems with diseases like Dutch elm disease. There's a possibility that um, ash might, might not be affected quite to the same extent. There is some research that says that ash trees, which are in hedgerows, where they don't get so much stress, they seem to be building up a little bit of resistance. But in, in the end, only time will tell. And as I say, we're doing research and we're working with other partners looking at what the long-term viability of ash um, is going to be. So you talked a bit about partnership work. I mean, I know we've got over 80 sites across the county that we actively manage ourselves. So does the work extend outside of those sites and partners? Uh, it's, yeah, it certainly does. We work with organisations like the Wildlife Trust, other local authorities, and we've started to get involved in some of the farmer clusters that you will find in Hampshire. So this is where farmers are coming together and creating their own agenda around um, managing their land uh, for conservation. And they're doing that at a landscape level. So Hampshire Countryside Service is, is, uh, is part of two or three of these farm clusters, which are a really innovative, future-looking way of managing the, the countryside. And some of that will involve um, tree planting. So I, I know that uh, some of the farmer clusters are working with local water companies to see where tree planting can help with things like flood risk, but also improving water quality. So that's certainly one partnership we're working with. The local authority also gets involved in things like catchment partnerships. And we talked earlier about climate issue. And one of the things in terms of the impacts of climate is uh, rivers and streams are warming up. Uh, as part of that whole climate change, global warming. But you can plant trees along rivers and streams and, and that will create shade, which will help in cooling those rivers down. And in turn, that's quite good for the biodiversity. So yeah, we're involved in a, a lot of partnerships and a lot of developing partnerships um, around not just trees, but things at a landscape level. We're currently, I think, in conservation, having a rethink about how we do a lot of our work and what some of the priorities would be. And certainly working in partnership but working at a much larger landscape level is very much the, the future of conservation. So whether we're talking about trees, grasslands, whether we're talking about conservation or actually climate change mitigation, that larger scale type of working is, is where we're going to be at. And, and actually the countryside service is going to be at the forefront of that. Well, thanks, Steve. Uh, you covered a lot of topics there as well as trees, I think. Hopefully you'll come back in future episodes uh, so we can talk more about this sort of subject. Oh, I'd love to. And of course, the thing I didn't mention today, which is, again, another priority for the countryside service, is our pollinator project. So perhaps we could come back at another time and talk about that. Yeah, that'd be right up our street, I think. That'd be great, Steve. Fantastic. Yeah, we can see the importance of it here, actually, because we're right in the middle of the woods, the River Amble Country Park, and you can see ash trees and oak trees and that. I think there are some coming down in the air at the moment where they've got ash dieback and they need to come down. So how will someone be able to recognise an ash tree? Actually we've got one 
right next to us here, and there's an oak right next to us as well. We started there. Yeah, there's an oak over there. So you can see this ash, similar size to the oak trees. It doesn't get quite as big around as an mm -hmm. oak tree, but you can see the bark's a little bit greyer. Yeah. And the cracks and fissures in the bark aren't as deep as in an oak. It's not smooth like a beech tree would be. Um, but it's a lot less fissured than the oak tree, as we can see just there. And also, if you look up at the leaves, they're quite fine leaves. You, instead of one leaf, like you'd have with an oak tree, you've got like about eight, six to eight side leaves and a little leaf on the top. It looks like lace work when you look up at them. It does, doesn't it? So you can see quite a lot of light coming through. So that's one big difference with them. So it's, you've got like a central stem with little oval leaves coming off the side and one on the end. So that's the leaf of them. Can't see if there's any, yeah, there is some seeds right up there on the ash tree. And what are they called? They're called keys. And they hang like a bunch. I don't know if that's why they're called keys. Um, but they're like um, flat oval plates, a bit like sycamore, but not mm -hmm. as bent. And they've got a seed in one end and they hang up in there like bunches. Um, quite different to the oak, of course, because of course that has acorns. Yeah. We can actually see a bit of sign of ash dieback in some of these. Um, so you can see that some of the leaves are dying off. I mean, they're browner more than, you know, as when they'd fall in the autumn. Mm -hmm. um, but also you get like bare stems sticking out the top. Um, it's where the, the, the twigs at the top have died off. Uh, so they haven't got any leaves on them. So there is ash dieback in this woodland we're in right now. So Andy, did you know that you can whistle with an acorn cup? I think you're going to show us, aren't you, Carly? I am going to show you. So all you need to find is an empty acorn cup. And it's quite hard to describe this on a podcast, but it does make a brilliant sound. So you position it between the bend in your thumbs so that there's a little tiny opening. And then basically, you just blow. <whistles> and it makes a brilliant whistle. Yeah, that was quite piercing, wasn't it? So you've got your thumbs over the top of the cup, haven't you? Thumbs over the top of the cup, nice little V-shaped hole in between your thumbs, just below your nails, and blow. <whistles> it's also really interesting because you can get, get different notes out of different sized acorn cups. So that was quite a large acorn cup, so it makes quite a high note. I'm just looking around for a, a smaller one, see if you can tell the difference. Yeah, it's a bit higher pitched. Hang on, I'm giving this a go. So I've got my knuckles like that. Like that, yeah? Yeah. And where do I blow? Across the top of my thumbs? So kiss your knuckles, basically, right. and blow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yay! Well, that worked. <laughs> so now you know, if you ever get lost in the woods and you need to find someone, you can just use an acorn cup and whistle. <laughs> Fantastic. So that brings us to the end of our first episode. Thanks for listening to Looking After Nature, the Hampshire Countryside Service podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for more nature, conservation and wellbeing content. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or thoughts or anything you'd like to discuss in future episodes. Let us know by tweeting us at, at @hantscs or messaging us on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Hampshire Countryside. And we'd really appreciate it if you'd rate and review our podcast on iTunes, as this helps other people find us. In the meantime, check out our social media pages for relevant updates and some great fun facts. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. I'm Andy Davidson. And I'm Carly Harrod. See you next time. <laughs>